we have been meditating over the last couple of weeks on the seven finer sayings or words of Jesus on the cross as we lead up to uh, Good Friday and Easter season. And we have been looking at the last two words, and today we are looking at the third word that Jesus uttered on the cross. There's a story about an American author and trainer in the field of self-help by the name of Richard Bentler. He's best known as the co-creator of neuro-linguistic programming, a, a methodology to understand and change human behavior patterns. And Bentler uh, tells one story about visiting a mental institution and dealing with a man who insisted that he was Jesus Christ. How do you deal with someone who keeps saying, I'm Jesus Christ, you know? Um, not uh, metaphorically, uh, not in spirit, but actually in flesh. So uh, Bentler said, I'll be back in a few minutes. And then he left. He went off for a little while, and this left the man a little bit confused. And then a few minutes later, Bentler came back holding a measuring tape, asking the man to hold out his arms. And the Bentler measured the length of his arms and his height from head to toe. And after that, Bentler left. And that man claiming to be Christ became even more concerned. And a little while later, Bentler came back with a hammer, with some large spike nails, and a long set of boards. And uh, the man, and he began to pound them into a form of a cross. And then the man asked, what are you doing? probably already knew the answer, didn't you? And Bentler said, as he put the last nail into the cross and said, well, are you still Jesus? <laughs> he said, yes, my son. Then, then you know what, what I'm going to do next, right? I'm going to crucify you. And then suddenly the man somehow recalled who he really was. He said, I'm not Jesus, I'm not Jesus. And the man started yelling, and then the case closed. Well, I hope you are. no one here claims to be Jesus, but there are many people who are under the foot of the cross that day when Jesus hung on the cross. And today, I want to show you four persons under the foot of the cross. And I'm going to ask that four person one question. What does it mean to stand under the foot of the cross? What does it mean to be near the cross of Jesus on that Good Friday afternoon looking up? What does it mean to you? Four of them. I'm going to read this text from John 19. This is recorded by John, the Apostle John. Please remember that only John heard the seventh saying of Jesus, of all the disciples. Only Jesus... Only John heard him because the rest of the disciples ran away and John came back with some women, some ladies. And I'm going to show you a number of them. And I'm going to ask them this question. So let me read to you first the third word. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, which is Mary, his mother's sister, which other accounts tells us that the name is Salome, and interestingly, there's another lady here mentioned, Mary, the wife of Clopas, 
we have no record of who this person is and scholars are differ in view that maybe Mary, the wife of Clopas, is actually mother's sister, uh, which is another name for Salome. We don't know. We don't know. So I'm going to leave Mary, the wife of Clopas, out of this equation uh, because we don't have many things to talk about her. Uh, so near the cross, they stood G his mother, his mother's sister, which is Salome, and Mary Magdalene. Three, huh? And as well as John the Apostle. So when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, which is John. John never mentioned his own name. He often said, uh, um, disciple whom Jesus loved. Standing nearby, he said to Mary, his mother, he said, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, which is John, he looked at John and said, John, here is your mother. And from that time on, these disciples, which is John, took her into his home. Took her into his home. So what I'm going to do is address the third word of Jesus when I come to John and Mary. But I want to address the first two persons first, which is Mary Magdalene and then Salome and then Mary the mother of Jesus, then the Apostle John. And the question that I want to ask them is, what does it mean to stand under the foot of the cross? What does it mean to be near the cross? What kind of place is this spiritually to you who is near the cross? What is the distinctive about being near the cross to each of you? Mary Magdalene would say this, well, what does it mean to be near the foot of the cross? Well, the cross is a place of redemption for me, Mary says. What does it mean to be near the cross? It is a place of redemption. It is a place for me to find grace, a place for me to be redeemed by Christ. Remember the story of Mary Magdalene? Mary Magdalene traveled with Jesus as one of his followers. Twelve times was mentioned in the Gospels. More than many of the disciples was mentioned. And she was a witness to his crucifixion. She was at the foot of the cross where most of the disciples were not around. He was at his burial and resurrection. Magdalene most likely means that she came from the town of Magdala. Magdala is a fishing town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. So let me just read to you the story of Mary Magdalene and why Mary Magdalene see near the cross as a place of redemption for her. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. So Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her that was driven out of her. We do not know exactly whether the seven 
demons is literally seven demons in the sense that was driven out, or it was just a metaphorical, symbolic sense in Jewish tradition, seven was a number of completion. And so the statement could also mean that Mary was possessed by seven demons. It may simply mean that she was completely overwhelmed by their power. So it could mean seven, real seven demons of spirit, or it could mean simply just a way of saying that she was completely overwhelmed by their power. In either case, whether you interpret it as seven demons literally or whether it's symbolically, in either case, Mary must have suffered from severe emotional or psychological trauma in order for an exorcism of this kind to have been perceived as necessary. Consequently, because how she was delivered by Christ, you know, you know how a person came to know the Lord somehow in some way map out how her life would be like walking with Christ. If you come to God in a very casual way, without any kind of serious counting of the cost, uh, more likely you won't take your discipleship very serious. So how a person comes to know Christ, in some sense, determines whether or not the person will finish well and strong. Uh, so for Mary, when we ask Mary, Mary, what does being near the cross standing at the foot of the cross on Good Friday afternoon means to you. He said, well, it is a place of redemption for me because there I found Christ. Christ completely set me free. Someone has said that in Christ, this is what we have. We have a love that can never be fathomed. You have a life that can never die because you have eternal life. You have a righteousness that cannot be tarnished because you have a righteousness of Christ imputed on you. You have a peace that can never be understood because it's cannot comprehend. Even though you can go through difficult times, yet you can experience peace. Because you, can, you can have a peace that cannot be understood. You can have a rest that can never be disturbed. You can have a joy that can never be diminished. No circumstances will rob you of the joy away from you. You have a hope that can never be disappointed. You have a glory that can never be clouded. You have a light that can never be darkened. You have a purity that can never be defiled. You have a beauty that can never be marred. You have a wisdom that can never be baffled. And finally, you have resources that can never be exhausted. And so for Mary, when she knows that Jesus has redeemed her, she experienced all these things, spiritual blessing in Christ, hope, joy, peace, love that we all so long for and we all chase after so many ways to attain that but until we come to the foot of the cross, then we can truly experience all these things. Max Lucado, one of the first few Christian orders that I fell in love with because he has a way of bringing imagination into your mind. When you read the, his writing, you almost could smell the things when, as if like you were there. And he said this, he said, when you recognize God as your creator, you will admire Him. When you recognize Him his wisdom, you will want to learn from Him. When you discover how strong God is, you will want to rely on Him. But only when He saves you, then when you will really worship Him. So the way of our worship of God derives from us knowing that God saves us 
deliver us from bondage, from sin, from darkness into light, into freedom, into eternal life. And when we know that we've been liberated and saved from all those things, then we truly will know how to worship God. So Mary, Magdalene, what does it mean to be near the cross? What does it mean to be under the foot of the cross? What does it mean? Say, well, it's a place of redemption for me. And you know what happened to Mary subsequently? This is what it says here. Not just Mary that was uh, delivered, but many other women. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, we, we don't know who they are, the manager of Herod's household, that he told us this. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them. What? Out of their own means. So after she was liberated, she was set free, she devoted her life in following Jesus, supporting Jesus, maybe cook for Jesus, maybe buy laksa for Jesus, and you know, all wash his clothes, and you know, when he's hot, maybe fan him, or what, I don't know. You know. Uh, but she helped out in the ministry. When you are redeemed, when you're set free, when you know the value or what it means to be a believer, then you begin to use your whole life as a devotion to serve God in your capacity, whatever that may mean. So Mary, what does it mean to you to be near the foot of the cross? Well, it is a place of redemption. Let's move to the second person, Salome. Salome, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to be near the foot of the cross? Salome, by the way, Salome is the mother of John, right? It's the apostle John. Salome has two sons, John and James. And both of them are disciples of Jesus. So Salome is the mother of John the apostle. Salome is also the, mud, uh, the sister of Mary. Which Mary? Mother's mother of Jesus. So Salome is Jesus' auntie. Salome is the sister of Mother Mary. So John, in that sense, is Jesus' cousin. Right? So there's a bit of family relationship that's going on here. So we ask Salome, Salome, what is the place of the cross? What does it mean to be near the foot of the cross? Salome will tell, tell us, well, it is the place of rebuke for me. Why? Do you remember the story of Salome? You remember one incident that was recorded in the gospel about the story of Salome? Salome came to Jesus. He was the mother of Zebedee's sons, which is Jeff and John. They came, she came to Jesus with her sons, bring her son, cousins, huh? kneeling down and asked Jesus for a favor. You must understand that this is Eastern culture. Some of us here, we can identify in Eastern culture where we are older people, your auntie, your mother or whatever has tremendous amount of authority. You, you carry more weight in the sense. It's your auntie requesting something from you. You can refuse your same level of peer, but someone who is older than you, you have greater, kind of carry a little bit more weight. And so his, Jesus' auntie uh, brought the two sons, James and John, to Jesus, kneeling down. Don't just request, kneeling down. Imagine your auntie kneeling down before you and then request for something. How can you not give in? And Jesus said, what is it you want? He asked. Well, she said, well, this is what I want. Would you please grant one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom? 
When you reign as a king, can I please request that you let John and James to be your right and left hand man? Is it okay? And of course, the Bible tells us that the other, the other disciples kind of heard of it or aware of it, get upset and angry. You know why they're upset and angry? Because they didn't think of the idea first. They would request for that as well if they heard of it first, you know. Uh, but, but they say, oh, 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 yeah, I can't think of that, man. We should have request, you know, brought by Jesus a meal or something, and I request that. But here, they are inferior because this is two cousins, and an auntie is requesting that. You know what Jesus said to them? Jesus didn't, did not say yes. Jesus said this to them. Jesus said, do you know what you're asking? Maybe he said, auntie, do you know what you're asking? Do you actually know what you're asking? Sometimes we, we, we don't realize that we, we ask the wrong thing. They often say that to review how intelligent you are is not by the answer you give, but the question you ask. The question we, you ask often reveal how intelligent you are. And Jesus said, do you know actually what you're asking? Can you actually drink the cup I'm going to even comprehend, can you imagine drinking the cup that I'm going to drink? Jesus is telling them, you must understand, the cup in the Old Testament symbol a kind of, is an idiom. Drinking the cup is an idiom in the Old Testament. That means to take everything in. To drink the thing dry to drink it to the drops, or we often like to call it what? Bottoms up. Yeah, we cheer. Bottoms up. Can you drink it all? Can you go all the way and die for me? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you go all the way and die the kind of death that I'm going through that you request for that? You know what they say? That we can. You know, sometimes we, we are too quick to say or promise something that we are not able to deliver. And we heard of it in uh, Apostle Peter where he said, Wow, when everybody abandoned you, I will not. And what happened to him? He denied Jesus three times. And therefore, Jesus has to affirm him three times again. Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, I do three times, just to affirm him back again, restore him back again to, to where he is. Are you able to drink the cup? The Lord seems to be saying, are you able to suffer to the degree that I am to drink the whole cup? Because Christ drank all of that. He drank all of that. Are you able to drink the whole thing? Are you able to take it all in to experience all of it? Bitter cup, the cup of suffering, bottoms up and all the way and die for Christ. The highest places of glory are reserved for those who went through the deepest places of suffering. But of course, James and John say, we can't. And uh, Jesus went on and tell them, say, well, you will indeed drink from my cup. You will indeed. Jesus is actually saying about James and John, which we know James was the first apostle to be martyred. And John was the last one. He lived up to ripe old age in the 90s, exiled in Patmos Island, work, working in the Roman salt mine. 
and receive. That's where that he received the revelation that we have in the last book of the Bible of the future event at the end times, what will happen. And John received that. And, and, and Jesus prophesied that the two disciples did actually able to drink of the cup that he liked. So it's a place of rebuke for Salome. Salome, what is, does it mean to stand under the foot of the cross? Well, it's a place of rebuke for me. I don't know what I'm asking. And sometimes I wonder, uh, we are like that too, isn't it? I wonder Jesus, when he was on the cross, he was looking down at the cross. He was looking down. There was some dice throwing that went on at the foot of the cross. They gambled for some used clothes and sandals. They seek to expand their wardrobe at the expense of Christ. I wonder what that scene must have looked like to Jesus when he looked down and noticing all these soldiers, four of them gambling for his clothes. And, and uh, what emotion did he feel? He must have, uh, have been amazed. Here were common soldiers witnessing the most the world's most uncommon event, and they don't even know it. As far as they were concerned, it was just another Friday morning routine, and Jesus was just another criminal casting lots for the possession of Christ, eyes downward and cross forgotten. And sometimes it makes me think of the church as well, not just this church. Uh, this church is pretty healthy in some way, uh, but... Overall, the church in, as a context in the, in the universal church, we choose sometimes play games at the foot of the cross. We compete for members. We scramble for status. We are quick to judge. We are quick to condemn without sufficient information. Competition, selfishness, personal gain, convenience, status. And the list goes on. We don't like what the other did, so we take the sandal we want and we walk away. So close to the timber, but so far from the blood. So close to the cross, and yet so far from Christ. And I think for Salome, she stood under the foot of the cross looking at Jesus. The song that she had was, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, of which the young prince of glory died. My richest gain, I count but loss, and poor content on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ, my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them all to His blood. The cross rebuilds our worldliness. The cross rebuilds our cheap values. The cross rebuilds our selfish ambitions. The cross rebuilds our Christian competitions. And the cross rebuilds our blessed bragging. And when you heard of someone telling you how good or how great he is, mark it down 
this person has never been near the cross. And so for Salome, it was a place of rebuild. I remember I have a friend from Singapore. One day I received a call from this lady from Perth. She was from Singapore, he migrated to Perth. And she obtained my phone number from another friend in Singapore because she was also in ministry. And she rang me up and said, Glenn, I got your phone number from this lady. I'm actually coming down from Perth to Melbourne for some ministry. I'm into the ministry of healing. I want to come to your church to minister. And I said, well, when? And she gave me the dates. I looked at my dates. I said, oh, unfortunately, the day that you are here, I won't be around. I won't be around. So maybe some other time. And she was saying, why, why? Even though you're not around, I still can minister. You know, you have some other leaders there. Well, it's very forceful and very aggressive, you know, when I say no to her. And uh, I said, no, no, I can't. I'd rather be around because I don't know you. You know, I, I need to be around as a pastor. I need to know, you know some things before I give platform to someone. He said, why? You will regret, you know. Because you know why? Actually, I'm very good. He said, I'm very good. You don't want me? You will regret. In my heart, I said, oh, thank you. All the more, I wouldn't want you. <laughs> I said, thank you very much. And in my heart, I said, she has never been to the, near the foot of the cross. Never. Someone who has been to the foot of the cross will never say things like that. St. Augustine said that if you plan to build a tall house of virtues, you must first lay deep foundations of humility. And I believe with all my heart, if you can never serve, you should never lead. And so sometimes when you take a passage from outside, it is a risk. If you never serve before, you should never lead. Leadership position should always be reserved for people who is proven servant of God. And that is what we need. Not so much of their skills or able to talk or, or whatever. It's humility before the who has been to the cross and Salome what does it mean to be under the foot of the cross well I think it's a place of rebuke for me let me move to the third person we come now to the saying of the third saying of Jesus Mary the mother of Jesus and I'd like to ask Mary Mary what does it mean to be under the foot of the cross? What does the cross mean to you? What is a place? What is it like? You say, well, it is a place of reward. It is a place of reward for me. I, 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 mean, I just hypothetically say that. I don't, I don't particularly think that she actually literally says it is a re I'm there to receive reward. Uh, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, to her, it is a place of reward. Do you remember John begins his gospel in chapter 2 with Mary and Jesus? And now in chapter 19, he closes the gospel again with Mary and Jesus. There was a lot of contrast though in between. In chapter 2, it was a wedding. In chapter 19, it was a funeral. In chapter 2 was a wedding, there was joy, there was wine, happiness, cheering, bottoms up, you know, 
But in chapter 19, there was no joy but sorrow, no wine flowing but blood flowing from the brow and the vein and the side of Jesus. As the hymn say, right? Blood flow from Emmanuel's veins. Chapter 2, there was a miracle of turning water into wine. And there was power displayed. But chapter 19, there was no miracle. There was weakness. There was shame because of the way that Jesus died on the cross. Chapter 2, Mary speaks to Jesus. Come on, no more wine. And now in chapter 19, Jesus speaks to Mary. And did you know that the silence of Mary at the cross is, has tremendous significance? The silence, because Mary is probably the only person in all of Jerusalem that could deliver Jesus from the cross. All that she had to do is just went to the religious priests and leaders and said, you know what, I am his mother. Everything that he said about himself, the claim to be, is not true. I vouch for it, he's my son. And he could have just easily delivered Jesus. But his, her silence means a lot. You know why she was silenced? Because she knew that Jesus was the son of God. She knew that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel. She knew who he was because she received that angel pronouncement to tell her that she would conceive and give birth and you must name him Jesus, which means Savior. She knew who he was. She knew what he was and she knew what he came to do. She believed Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one. Therefore, she remained silent. Her silence is an endorsement in believing that Jesus came for that purpose. But Mary has been suffering for 33 years. She has been suffering for 33 years, waiting for the moment to come. And mother, you know that. I don't think any mother cannot experience it. If you imagine you have a son they born to you, have some terminal illness, and you know that person is going to die very soon, someday, but you don't know when. The suffering that you have endured, only probably Jesus can understand. And not only that, in Luke chapter 2, when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple on the eighth day to circumcise and, and do the law, whatever the law that required, and then Simeon has been there waiting for this, for this day, and then when he saw this Jesus brought by Mary and Joseph, ha, he said, finally, oh Lord, thank you, thank you. And this is what he said. Simeon says this, oh, blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then this is the thing. And Simeon said to Mary, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary, you are going to experience a lot of pain. 
from the very conception of Jesus through to the crucifixion of Jesus, Mary was experiencing the sort of sorrow, the sort of shame that she has to endure through. She's beginning to experience, she sends a growing alienation from his firstborn son. After 30 years, start to leave home, baptize, start to go out and preach, and slowly, and she just sends, the day is coming, the day is coming, the day is coming. And in Matthew chapter 12, it tells us that when Jesus was preaching, someone came to them and said, wow, your mother and your brothers and your all sisters are waiting for you outside. And then Jesus pointing to his disciples said, here are my mother, to the crowd, here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So as Mary is sensing, slowly he's departing, slowly he's leaving. Slowly, he, she grows and sees a growing alienation from his firstborn son. And at the foot of the cross, the last of his cord will be cut now, finally. And the sword is going to pierce deeper and deeper and deeper. Now he is dying. It is bad enough that he's dying, but he's dying in a public square. And how he's dying on the cross like a criminal. And why he's dying? Because his own people are so ignorant. And so can you sense as a mother experiencing the kind of tremendous amount of pain? And Jesus, in all his agony and pain, noticed Mary. Did you know that when you are in pain, you become the most selfish person in the world? If you think that you are not selfish, when you experience pain, see what happens. Everything is you. Rarely do you see someone in pain actually comforting others. Rarely do you see someone in deep struggle, emotional, physical pain, and yet able to look out for others' needs. Everything evolves around yourself, suddenly. And yet Jesus on the cross, suffering the most incredible kind of pain that I will explain on Good Friday was able to say the first prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And secondly, telling the penitent thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And then now at the cross, he can look at his mother. He says, Mom, mother, here's your son. He's looking after the mother. Son, this is your mother. Despite his sufferings, his increasingly difficult breathing, the agony and the sadness in his soul, both physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, Everything that Christ experienced, the agony and the sadness in his souls, he could not remain insensitive to the distress of those who had followed him up to that moment and who had no fear of identifying themselves with him. How can I be insensitive to these people who came for me? And so Jesus rewarded Mary because Mary was heartbroken completely. And by saying to Mary, Mary, woman, this is your son, He's fulfilled his duty to her. Because Mary is about 50 years old maybe, or in the mid-40s uh, already, and his her husband Joseph already died, and his children uh, from Joseph, at that moment, probably not believer yet, and Jesus has to entrust his mother 
to John the Baptist. But also there's another significant meaning behind that is that not just only he fulfilled his duty to her as a mother, but he also fulfilled his duty in a sense moving away from son to saviour. I'm your saviour now. Jesus cared for Mary so much, he addressed both needs. For his widowed mother, he fulfilled his duty as a son. For one who needed deliverance from sin, he established his dominance as a saviour over her. That day, Mary lost a son, but she gained a saviour. And so, Jesus rewarded Mary. And I think that's a very good way, it's a form of application, is that we are called to honour our parents. Our call, we are called to honour our parents. M. Scott Peck, uh, a psychiatrist, wrote a book called uh, The Road Less Traveled. When he wrote that book, he wasn't a Christian, he was a Zen Buddhist, and after that he became a Christian. Uh, and uh, and in the, I read about his life a little bit. He married a, a Singaporean lady, uh, and towards the end of the life, this is what he wrote about. He said, a significant regret is that I was not as good as a father as I would have ideally liked to be. I was not, I think, a bad father. I did fine until my children were two years old. Uh, but from two to, to, to 11, they bored me. <laughs> you need to flow with children, and it is hard to flow when your mind is filled with working on an article about religious ecstasy. And then she said, I also regret very much. In fact, every day now, he said, the lack of sympathy that I had for my parents in their old age. There was a lot I could have given them if I had only been a little bit more empathetic. Of course, I had not been through their aches and pains, and therefore I cannot understand. So there are huge regrets that she, the way he, he has not shown extra care and concern to his parents. And now that he has grown old, now he's in that situation, and he experienced everything that her parents, his parents went through, then he began to identify with it. Life is like that, isn't it? Emotionally, when you're not involved in it, you don't quite able to comprehend and identify with what a person has to go through. And uh, so Mary, what does the cross mean to you? Well, it's a place of reward. I have five more minutes. I know we are all hungry because now it's really two o'clock probably. Uh, plus, if you have not had a late breakfast, I could hear some stomach growling. Uh, give me another few more minutes and I'll finish. The last person is John. John, what does it mean to be under the foot of the cross? What does it mean to be near the foot of the cross? John said, well, it is a place of responsibility. Jesus, the son, who has cared for his mother, now he is entrusting this responsibility to me. I am replacing Jesus. Wow. It is a place of responsibility. I have a responsibility to look after. And we have a responsibility too. And that is why God gave us, after Jesus departed, gave us to carry on the work here on, the, on earth until he returns again. Until he returns again. When we celebrate communion, we say that until he comes again. This period, we have responsibility. As Christians, our responsibility is to pray. 
our responsibility is to roll up our sleeve and do and serve God with the gifts that God has given to you. And not only it is a place of responsibility, I think John further, Jesus said, John, this is your mother. Woman, this is your son. Not only he gave him new responsibility, but actually Jesus is also introduced a new relationship. From now on, you enter into another level of relationship that supersedes your earthly biological family into the spiritual family. That is even greater. That is even greater. Now it's moving to another level of relationship that we Christians who believe in Jesus, we become one family. While we say that the blood is thicker than water, Jesus' blood is thicker than our earthly blood and your body's blood now. Because you found a new family in Christ. And your identity is you're redeemed, you're saved by Him. That identity alone gels you as a family. It's a new relationship. And that is why John, if you know John Gospel, and uh, Pastor Caroline read to us a couple of passages about John talking about a new community. Now, a new commandment I give to you, love one another just as... Uh, Christ loves you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciple. Because now he's entering into a new relationship through Christ. And 1 John chapter 3 talks about this. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It become a new family. United by Christ, the saving work of Christ. We should care for one another, love one another. Why? Because Christ cared for us and because Christ loved us. And so here, he, 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 he accepts the responsibility and Jesus on the cross ushered in a new relationship, another lever, another lever. And so there are four persons under the foot of the cross that day that I highlighted to you and asked the question, what does it mean to be under the foot of the cross? Mary Magdalene said, well, it's a place of redemption for me. It's a place that I saved. I was saved. I've been set free. And Salome said, well, it's a place of rebuild because I was wrong. I allow my ego and all this to take over. And Mary said, well, it's a place of reward to all the suffering that the person had been through, Jesus said, you will be rewarded. And lastly, John, what does the cross mean to you? It is a place of responsibility because Jesus is ushering a new relationship in the family of God. Let me close with this. There was a story about a man who... who uh, Studying university and a friend always witnessed to him, and he was also training for summer Olympics in skydiving. And she went for swim and train, and because of him, his status, he was given some privileges to use the pool. And one night, he was just decided to go to the pool and practice some diving and all that. And as he climbed up the diving board, and the night was a clear night, was a uh, uh, big bright moon and uh, 
And therefore, therefore this, about, about that night, that evening, it was October, the moon was big and bright, and uh, the university pool was housed under a ceiling of glass panels, so the moon shone bright across the top of the wall in the pool area. And so when he stood up there and prepared for his dive, the moonlight was so strong, he could see up on the wall the pool itself, a projection of a cross. And at that moment, he was overwhelmed and convicted by the spirit about his own life. And then at a high, 20 feet up high, he knelt and he prayed and he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And at that moment, the light came out. A pool attendant came in, switched on the light. Uh, the attendant had come in to check the pool and this man looked down from his platform and he actually saw an empty pool which had been drained for repairs. He had almost plummeted to his death, but a cross had stopped him from disaster. Maybe the cross can mean redemption for you. Maybe the cross today can mean a rebuke. Maybe the cross can mean reward. Or maybe the cross can mean you take on responsibility for the Lord. Whatever that may be, may our echo be like Thomas, the apostle, who missed out on Jesus' resurrection. And when he saw Jesus and put his fingers into his hand, and he cried out and said, My Lord and my God. And maybe we need to do that. Dear Lord, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for this season that we can meditate on the cross. Thank you that we can meditate on the last seven sayings and the words of Jesus on the cross. And the cross means many things to many of us today. But in all of this, may some of us here, all of us here rather, may be able to say, my Lord and my God. May we surrender our life to you. May we give our heart to Jesus Christ today and find peace and joy and love and devote our lives to serve Him. And some of us need to be rebuked. Some of us have never been near the cross and we brag so much about our skill, our cleverness and all that without realizing that all this comes from you. Some of us have been through a lot of suffering. Lord, we thank you that you will reward us accordingly for all suffering done for you. Some of us here need to take notice and recognize that we should assume responsibility as a believer and not be a passive Christian but use our gifts, our resources for your kingdom. As we close now with this final song, as we sing once again and be amazed by the presence of the cross. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. In the presence of Jesus.
doubt that you love us, we just need to look at the cross and particularly during this season as we meditate and ponder on the cross may we be truly able to echo the song that we just sung, how marvelous how wonderful to know that you love us thank you Lord that you love us you forgive all of our sins you love us you love us beyond our finite mind can ever imagine or comprehend. And that love when we experience will revolutionize, will transform the way we live and transform entire new relationship we have. Thank you, Lord. May the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His unconditional and the unfailing love of God, and the amazing power, presence, fellowship of the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.